Do you want to run further, faster, or stronger? Do you want to enjoy your running more and generally be a better version of yourself? You're in the right place. I'm your host, Alan Ladd, a running coach and nutritionist. My aim is to help you improve your running from 5Ks to ultras by providing you with the knowledge and tools you need on training, nutrition, and mindset, as well as giving you the inspiration to dream bigger, achieve more in your running, and to make it fun at the same time. Welcome to the Running Rules Podcast. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 56 of the Running Rules Podcast, Caffeine Clarity. And in this episode, I'm going to try and give you all the facts and details and opinion that you need to make an informed decision as to whether you're going to use caffeine as part of your racing strategy. I'm not here to tell you to do something or not to do something, and I want to make a disclaimer now. I'm not a health professional. I'm not a doctor. If you are worried about any aspect of taking caffeine or anything else, do see your doctor and seek a medical advice. Also, caffeine is a supplement, and supplements are really something that you probably should only consider once you have ironed out the big rocks in your preparation for races. So things like your training, your nutrition, your mindset, all of these are going to make much, much more of a difference than whether you decide to use caffeine or not. And also the other part of this is that it's going to be very individual. As you'll find out as we go through this episode, I'm going to say constantly that it's different things work for different people. Some people will respond really well to caffeine. Some people won't like it. Some people won't even be able to tolerate it and have um, GI issues or just not like the feeling of taking caffeine. So it is very individualistic. You've got to find out what works for you. So what works for me doesn't necessarily work for, for anyone else. But I do want to present some of the facts, some of the studies that have been done, some of the pros, some of the cons, and hopefully from there you can try and come up with a strategy or at least test some strategies in your own training to try and work out what's going to work for you and whether it's going to be a benefit for you. So to give you a bit of a, a roadmap to this episode, I'm going to give you a brief introduction about caffeine, how it works what the perceived uh, performance benefits are, what dosage and timing is recommended, potential risks and side effects. Again, we're going to talk a bit about individual variability. Um, then we're going to talk about caffeine sources. So where do you get this caffeine from? Uh, and then a few different things about um, ethical um, potential things around um, whether this is a good thing to do or not a good thing to do, and then a bit of a conclusion at the end. So jumping right in, um, hist uh, an introduction to caffeine, what is it? It's basically a, a drug that is found naturally occurring in things like coffee and tea, um, cocoa, and also has been obviously used then in other products, especially drinks, if we think of energy drinks or colas, things like that. And the way it seems to work is that the body produces a hormone called adenosine. And adenosine builds up in the brain. And 
when this binds to receptors in the brain, this is um, what makes you feel tired. So throughout the day, this adenosine builds up, it binds to the receptors, you feel tired, and that helps you to go to sleep at the right time, and then that gets cleared out. What happens with caffeine is that caffeine binds to those receptors that the adenosine would normally bind to and blocks those receptors off. So you can be accumulating this adenosine, but you're not gonna feel as tired. And that's why caffeine is always thought of as something that keeps you alert, keeps you awake. And uh, we see it if, if we have a morning coffee, you know, that gets us up and, up and going. Um, we, if I think back to student days, people would be using things like Pro Plus, which is just a caffeine uh, tablet to keep those late night revision um, sessions going. But really, that's that's the main way that it's it's keeping you alert and awake. And this can be a good thing and a bad thing. Obviously, if you are wanting to stay focused and alert for later than you normally would do, then this can be something that can be used, but it's obviously going to affect sleep as well. And that's gonna be one of the drawbacks that we'll have a look into uh, when I'm gonna recommend or not recommend whether to take it. One thing that is very important to understand about caffeine is that it has a very long half-life. And half-life is basically the amount of time that it takes for half of the substance to be metabolized out of, out of the bloodstream. So caffeine has a half-life of about six hours, which means that six hours after you've ingested caffeine, about half of it is still circulating in your, in your bloodstream, which is interesting to think about the timing of when you would take caffeine. Um, and there's probably the reason that I now don't consume any caffeine after uh, midday. Sometimes I will break that rule. For instance, for instance, if I'm racing late in the day, then I might have caffeine later on in the day and that does affect my sleep. So it's a, it's a trade off there. But I, I would always break at 12 o'clock because if I've had a cup of coffee at 12 o'clock, then at six o'clock in the evening, half of that cup of coffee is still in my system. At 12 midnight, about a quarter of that caffeine still in. So it's like having a quarter cup of coffee at midnight. So that's really interesting to think about if you didn't realize that and you are drinking a lot of caffeine during the day and right up until maybe six, seven, eight at night, then thinking about how long that's gonna stay in your system and how that can affect your sleep. In terms of endurance performance, the reason that, or the main reason that caffeine seems to work in terms of increasing performance is that it reduces the perception of the effort level that you're having to give um, to, especially towards the end of a race, but in a high intensity race or towards the end of a longer race, it helps to stop you feeling as tired. So again, it's about that alertness, about that awake, awakeness, but 
it's also reducing, by doing that, it's reducing the perception of how hard you think that effort level is. And there's been a lot of studies into caffeine um, for endurance performance with runners and cyclists. Um, a lot of studies being done with cyclists, but there are two um, systematic reviews that were done, in tw one in 2013 and one in 2022, that looked at just running studies and did find that there is a, a benefit of caffeine in terms of extending time to exhaustion, which for runners, there's not going to be many races when you're just going to keep on running until you can't run any further. So we're more looking at time time trials, and they seem to be still a benefit there, but slightly less. Although what I think about with time to exhaustion is that if you've raced a certain distance to your absolute best, especially in a marathon, then really when you get to the finish line, you can't really go any further and that really is almost like a time to exhaustion. So the the latest 2022 systematic review found that there's a bigger benefit if you're going to try and extend your time to ex exhaustion over a time trial, but there's still a benefit of, of both. And I just want to cut away a little bit to explain what a systematic review is, because I, I don't talk a lot about um, styles. Uh, studies and trials and how they um, are set up on this podcast. So I just want to not assume that everyone knows exactly what that means. What If I said that I take caffeine and it definitely improved my performance, that is an anecdote and that is one person's view. And that is still has some weight of relevance, but someone else could say, Caffeine has no effect on, on my performance. In fact, it's detrimental. And that is also an anecdote. So it becomes a it becomes a who do you believe kind of scenario. And there's no real evidence one way or the other. It's just per personal preference or personal experience. Now, that's not to say that experience isn't important. Because what that tends to do is if lots of people start saying, well, I think caffeine helps me and someone else says it and, and that kind of snowballs. That's when we start putting trials together to try and understand, is that actually a benefit here? Is there scientifically, can we prove that this actually does work? And there are so many different ways that you can set up studies. And it's, it's important when you're looking at studies to know how they've been done um, what subjects they've used, um, as in what participants. I mean, are they doing this on rats? Are they doing this on humans? Um, so is it relevant to you as a person? And then also how the studies are set up. So we can, I could say, I've got a magic pill here. And if you take this, you're going to run faster. There might be nothing in that pill, but because you might believe that there's going to be some effect, you might run faster. And that's called a placebo effect. So if I gave you something that we know has no effect, um, 
can't think off the top of my head what that might be. But say it was basically water. There was nothing else in it. It's just a little tablet of, of water. That's not going to improve your performance. But if I say that it is, then you might believe it and you might actually run faster. So that's called a placebo effect. So when we're doing studies, it's quite important to test whether it's better than a placebo. So usually what will happen is some cohorts won't take anything, some cohorts will take a placebo, and some cohorts will take the actual thing that we're testing, the caffeine. And what the, the studies have found is that there will be a benefit for the placebo, but then there'll be a bigger benefit again for the caffeine, which is statistically important. It has to be above a certain amount of, of level to be sure that there is not just random variants in there, that it is actually properly beneficial. Then once we've got a few of these studies, then what we can do is a systematic review and meta-analysis. And this is where someone will come along and look back at all the reviews that have been done and try and put them all together and see if the narrative runs through all of these studies. Because you might get one study that says, caffeine is great and improves, improves performance. Then you might get another study that says, no, it doesn't. But if you do a systematic review of all of the studies that have been done or all of the studies that fit the criteria, then you can work out, well, generally, what, what have we found? And in this case, the systematic reviews have confirmed that there's definitely some improvement by taking caffeine. Now, remember when I was saying it's important to know what cohorts we're, we're doing these studies on? This is where um, it, some interesting things come up. Unfortunately, with a lot of scientific research, a lot of it is done on males and quite a lot of it's done on young males. So what we don't know actually is, is the performance benefit as much in women? Maybe it's more. We don't know because... There, a lot of the studies don't include women. Uh, and in these systematic reviews, um, the 2022 one, there was something like 250 people across all of the studies that were used, and only 19 of them were women. So it's not possible to say from science, uh, scientific reviews that we have or studies that we have, that um, the same benefit applies to women. But we can with some some degree of confidence suggests that it might do. Also, we don't know about age differences. So does this decline as you get older? Again, we don't have the, the data to, to support that. So you do have to always take some of the findings with a little pinch of salt and then see where that's pointing to and test it yourself and see whether you think that it's worth using for yourself. Again, as I said, the benefits that you're probably going to get are maybe a one or two percent. And by sorting out your training, your nutrition, your mindset, things like that, you're probably going to get a much, much bigger payoff. But if you've got all those dialed in, then it might be so something that's definitely worth considering. So that's a little bit about how it works and the perceived benefits and why that happens. 
Number three, we're going to talk about dosage and timing. So the recommended dosage is three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight. So for me, that would be around about 200 to 400 milligrams. Um, and that is in total. So that's not per serving. That's just for the entirety of that day. Um, it's not really advisable to take more than that. You can um, get too much. And when that happens, we'll talk about the, the side effects, but that's when you're performance can really drop off and decline after that. So you do have to be careful with the dosage. If I was recommending this to people, I would always say start off on the low end of that range and then work up if you feel like you want to and um, you think that there might be a benefit there. The dosage, uh, so that's the dosage. The timing is interesting. And here's where I would say it's a bit more individual, depending on the goal that you have, uh, what race you're doing. So in terms of how fast it gets metabolized, I've seen anywhere between five and 60 minutes has been the window that that gets into your bloodstream. So I've seen um, data saying that it's between about five to 10, five to 15 minutes where that will start getting into your bloodstream and start working and having an effect. And it'll take up to maybe 30, 45, possibly even 60 minutes for all of that caffeine to be ingested and circulating and be having, a, having an effect. So think about that when you're timing it. I always think for shorter races, it's best to do it just before you, before the race, so probably about 30 minutes before a 5K or a 10K. For longer races, I don't want that alertness and being ready to go and jitteriness to happen on the start line of a marathon because you want to build into that race. You want to not shoot off too fast in the marathon. That's one of the biggest mistakes that you can make in the marathon so in in that kind of race i would be starting to think about taking it around halfway maybe even 16 miles possibly even later so that that last hour you're going to have the benefit and you're going to have the reduced perception of fatigue when you really need it so for me short races i'm doing 30 minutes before longer races half marathon i'm not fully actually decided on my approach this weekend. I'll probably take a little bit before and then a little bit during. For marathons, I'm going to be taking predominantly towards the middle and back end of the race. One question that I sometimes get about caffeine is, do I need to abstain from caffeine um, to get the best effects? And the answer to that from me would be no there's no um there's no evidence that i've seen that you get more of an effect if you normally don't have caffeine and then have it you will have a different effect in terms of normally you won't have the effect and then when you take it you will have the effect but the effect isn't diminished if you normally have caffeine it's just that if you have coffee during the week 
or caffeine during the week, then you will be getting that benefit during training as well as as your race. So you might not notice as big a difference, but it's not to say that that caffeine's not being effective. It's just that you won't notice as much of a difference. So it's probably not a good idea if you do normally have a lot of caffeine to come off it and then go back on it because caffeine is a drug and when you take it out when you're used to it then it you can cause effects um, you can get withdrawal symptoms so it's really probably not a good idea <clears throat> that's not to say that reducing your caffeine intake generally isn't a bad, is a bad idea because it might not be if you take a lot of caffeine and you struggle with sleep then it could definitely be worth looking at doing that but I would do it very slowly rather than go cold turkey there's no need to do that so number four is potential risks and side effects and I feel like I've already been teasing this and building up to it yes there's always going to be a potential issue with taking any kind of, of stimulant and in this case I think generally caffeine is seen to be pretty safe for people you know it's it's consumed by so many people around the world but that doesn't mean that for you it's gonna work and that you can tolerate it so some people do have GI issues when they take caffeine um, it can make them jittery as well. Always look at the dosage um, if you're worried about this. It could just be that you're taking a particularly high dosage. And I would always recommend to keep that under or not exceed that 6 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. Um, certainly not go over 600 milligrams. Um, after that, you can probably see negative benefits. The biggest thing that I think is a problem with caffeine, as I've alluded to, is sleep issues. And it might not be that you perceive that you have any sleep issues. You might still be getting sleep, but it's maybe harder to get that good, really good deep sleep if there's a lot of caffeine circulating in, in your blood. So that would be the main concern that I would have. But, also, but obviously, if you have individual issues with caffeine, then either don't take it, you don't need to take it, it's just an option that some people can go for, or talk to your doctor about it. Um, one thing about the jitteriness, I've seen some products and some research to say that the if it's combined with L-theanine, um, then that can reduce the jitteriness or the jittery effect of caffeine. So that might be, if you're really wanting to try this, but the jitteriness is a problem, then look for products that ha are paired with L-theanine as a, as a way of reducing that jitter. But sleep is going to probably be the, the, the main reason that I don't recommend taking it very late in the day especially um, and that can make it difficult for people to test it in their sessions if you're always running late in the day so I wouldn't recommend using it for every session especially if you're if you're training late in the day 
test it in your long runs if you're doing them at the weekend um, during the morning. Um, so then you don't get the issue of it being in your system later on in the day. The problem I have is that I do use caffeine and if I've got races late in the day then I will take caffeine before that and quite often then I won't be able to sleep that night very well. Um, there was a race last year that didn't start till I think it was half past eight, it was a really late race in the summer and had caffeine before that and I couldn't sleep until about four in the morning. So sleep is vitally important. It's another one of those big things that if you can get right, that's going to have much of a, a much bigger effect on your performance than uh, caffeine supplementation will do because you're going to be better rested for sessions. You're going to have better training sessions and all of those will build up through the training cycle rather than, you know, the caffeine supplementation in the race um, is going to have a smaller effect. So if it's really hampering your sleep, then I, I urge you to focus on the sleep aspect. Might not seem as sexy as and exciting as taking caffeine, but it's going to be far more effective than trying to supplement with caffeine and wrecking your sleep. So that would be the main issue that I would see and caution against. Next, let's talk about caffeine sources for runners. When we first think of caffeine, we probably think of coffee and tea. And whilst you can use these, and obviously they're a good source of caffeine, they do vary drastically depending on how you brew the drinks. Um, for instance, are they fresh ground coffee as an instant? How strong are you making it? Uh, and it will vary from, you know, brand to brand as well. So it's quite difficult to get a, a realistic or, a, or an accurate idea of how much caffeine you are getting from uh, a cup of coffee or tea. But to give some kind of ballpark figure, I think teas around about 60 milligrams per cup and coffee around about 80 milligrams a cup, as I say, depends how, brew, how strong you brew it and whether it's fresh and a lot of other uh, considerations. So it might not be the best source if you're trying to get an accurate number on how much you're taking, but it certainly for some people will feel like the most natural way of getting that. And that's quite off, quite often in the, or in the past, that's how I have maybe viewed it as well um maybe trying to drink a bit more coffee before uh, races and things like that rather than actually supplementing with other products um whether that makes it any ethically better or not is is a discussion that i'm going to go into in a, in a minute once you get past that you there's other drinks obviously that would have caffeine in caffeine energy drinks and those would have a more controlled dose in um for me i wouldn't want to con to consume fizzy drinks really either before or during a race so that for me that's not really an option but it might be something that you enjoy something you like and does work for you 
Um, one exception to that for me is the old adage of um, using flat coke in ultramarathons. I've done that before. Um, not so much, or I haven't done that in, during marathons. Just doesn't really fit in with, you know, logistically how I'm going to get that. But it's certainly something I've done in ultramarathons and is, um, I've, I've seen touted before as, as a good way to go about, you know, getting calories and, and caffeine in as well. There are other caffeine products that you can get. Obviously, you can get tablets like um, Pro Plus, but there are other ones are available. Um, you can get uh, gum and strips. And you can also get caffeine in your gels as well. Do check if you're looking at caffeine in gels. Do have a look at the dosage because obviously one caffeine gel is not the same as another caffeine gel. They do vary greatly. And I think it's something that people miss quite easily. Um, they go, well, I've taken three caffeine gels, but that doesn't actually mean anything because some of them are really low dosed. Um, some of the high five ones, for instance, I think are about 30 milligrams, which when I was talking about my optimal dose being 200 to 400, that pretty much means that I need to take all caffeine gels throughout a marathon to be able to get near to the low end of that dose. Um, on the flip side, I've been testing the Cis Beta Nootropics gel, which has 200 milligrams of caffeine in. So taking two of those is going to be at the absolute maximum of probably what I should be taking. Um, it does come with a health warning that you shouldn't take more than one a day. Um, but obviously the research and through my own testing, which seems to have been okay so far uh, suggests that I can probably manage two but certainly no more than that um, and other gels are going to be different I used to use talk gels which are in about 90 milligrams so three times as much as the high five and less than half as much as the cis so there's you've got to look carefully at those dosages to make sure that you're getting enough and not too much as well because they do wildly, wildly vary from gel to gel. The other thing that I urge you to be cautious about is there are certain caffeine products um, and I, I hate calling them out because I, I feel like I'm giving them free publicity, but everyone knows what I'm talking about. The Revy's Strips are just caffeine strips, yet if you looked at their marketing, you would believe that they give you energy and that you could potentially fuel, you know, a marathon just off Revy strips. They're not, they're just caffeine. And caffeine does not give you energy. You can't burn caffeine to, to move or do anything. It simply blocks your fatigue receptors. So you need uh, carbohydrate, or fat to burn to get energy. Um, carbohydrate is the one that we we have a limited storage and which is why we take carbohydrate gels or you know carbohydrate drinks to get that carbohydrate back in. But 
the strips and the tablets are not going to give you any energy. So if you are taking those, you'd still need to take gels or um, sports drinks or whatever you're using to fuel um, your marathon, your longer runs. Otherwise, you will run out of energy. Um, you can only block the fatigue receptors, but you can't um, transfer that into some kind of energy that you can burn. So there's pros and cons of all of those. Um, as I say, with the coffee and tea, that's going to be a variable amount of um, caffeine that's hard to calculate necessarily. Um, whereas the other ones are going to be more easier to get an amount that you need then you probably need to consider what's the easiest way of taking it for you so pills could be a good option if you're taking it beforehand because it's very easy to take those beforehand might not be such a good option during the run which is why I prefer caffeine and gels for during the marathon um, but there's no right or wrong way. Again, it's all about testing and finding out what works for you, what you prefer, and um, finding the products as well that work for you. So I'm going to slightly tangent off into ethical uh, concerns. And I do this simply because caffeine is a drug. And I think we, because it's legal we tend to forget that. And so there is an ethical discussion potentially about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. I originally wasn't too keen on it um, because I feel like if you are ingesting a drug to make you go faster, that doesn't sit right with me. On the other hand, it is legal. So there's no wrongdoing there or you know there shouldn't be any necessarily any ethical concerns but it I don't know whether that makes it right and I totally um can see both sides of the the, the fence you know if it's legal and everyone's doing it then why there's there should be no reason why you should feel bad doing it and and I I take caffeine and I've accepted that decision. That's what I've decided to do. I can equally see that if someone doesn't want to do it because they don't think it's ethically right, I can see that side of the argument as well. And for me, it kind of boiled down to where do you draw the line of what you should and shouldn't take? Because are you going to start saying that if, if you think caffeine's not ethically right, should we not be taking anything through a marathon, for instance? Should we not be taking gels? Should we only be able to eat real food? You know, it gets down a rabbit hole and the line has to be drawn somewhere. And for me, I suppose it's whether it's legal or not. If it's not legal, then it's out of bounds. If it's if it's legal, um, like um, caffeine, then there's no reason, I don't think, why we should feel bad about that. Um, similar thing with the, the super shoes. Um, initially, I kind of felt like I didn't want to use the super shoes because it's, in a way, artificially inflating the times that I can do. But where do you draw the line? I mean, I'm not going to not wear shoes at all. So 
obviously you have to wear something so you might as well wear the best thing that is legally accepted now some shoes are actually illegal because they have such a high stack height or drop um, and which isn't legal for competition but amateur runners could still use those because it's not like we're competing for money um, no one's going to stop us and say you're not allowed to wear that shoe so you could wear illegal shoes they're probably quite difficult to get hold of to be honest um, how much benefit you would really get who knows um, but I suppose that's where I draw the line ethically I'm not sure it's a great thing um, and you can point to the fact that caffeine is a watched substance on the the World Anti-Doping Association list. So it's not like they're saying it's completely fine. They're watching it. They're looking at usage. Um, it's going to be very difficult. It used to be a banned substance, but it's very difficult to do that because it's so widely consumed. That's what makes it difficult to regulate and difficult to 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 ban. I think probably if it wasn't in a naturally occurring substance in coffee, tea that people drink day to day, every day, then there would be much more of a push maybe to to not allow it and um, go along with other drugs. I think for me it comes down to whether it's safe, whether it's legal, and if those two things, and, and whether you feel right about it, and if, if, if it ticks those three boxes for you, then it's something that you should consider because, you know, it will hopefully give you a, a performance advantage and there's nothing wrong with that. It's also worth pointing out that that stance um, could change and you do need to check individual um, regulations depending on where you're competing or what you're doing. So, for instance, the NCAA, the National Collegiate athletic association in america caffeine is actually a banned substance but when you read into how much you have to consume for it to come up as a, a positive test it is not too far beyond what we've been talking about but it is beyond the the amount of the dosage that we've been saying so i think it's around about 500 milligrams per kilogram of body weight now it's it's difficult to put a number on that because it's actually how much ends up being in your blood, what the blood concentration is, but it's thought to be around about 500 milligrams per kilogram of body weight that would come up as a positive test uh, in the NCAA tests. Um, so do you do need to check if you're competing in something and potentially going to be winning things to make sure that there aren't any banned substances usually most things are going to be looking at the world anti-doping association rules um most athletic associations possibly probably going to be using that but do have a look and see if there are any exceptions or any differences and that is one that i found out about in the in on the internet and i didn't when i was researching this um podcast and i didn't actually know that that was the case so it's something that could be looked at again, so you do need to keep looking at the current regulations and the current guidelines. And 
if you're listening to this years after the event, this we're recording this February 2024, it's possible that it's become a banned substance again, or certainly limited by how much you can take. So do keep on top of that. Don't assume that it's always fine, but for the most part, it's probably going to be okay at the dosages we're talking about and in the events that people listening to this podcast are likely to be taking part in. So in conclusion, caffeine is certainly something that is probably going to help a lot of people to focus in a little bit more, reduce that perception of fatigue, and consequently come out with a better performance. And so, so is definitely something I would recommend if you feel right about, if you can tolerate it, to try out in training, see how you go with it, test on the lower end of the dosage of three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight, test the low end of that out. If you feel like you want to go up higher, then you can do that if you're feeling fine with it. Do think about how it affects your sleep. That's going to be the biggest drawback for most people, is if you're, especially if you're taking it later on in the day, that that's going to affect your sleep, even if you're not realizing that it is. And also think about the different ways that you can get that into, into your regime. So whether that's using it in your gels, whether it's going to be coffee before your run, think about what works for you and um, the best way that you can take that. It's not going to be for everyone. It's something that I definitely say, test it out, see if it works for you. I think for most people, you are going to find some benefit, even if it is only at the placebo level. You'll find something that, you know, it feels like it clicks for you. Most of most people are going to hopefully get a bit more of an effect above that. Again, think about the aim of what you're trying to do. So if you're trying to run a 5K, you want to be alert, feeling less fatigued right from the get-go all through that race. If we're talking about a marathon or an ultra marathon, you don't need that real focus and buzz and drive right from the start, but you do want that perception of effort to be lowered um, towards the end of that effort because that's when it's going to get really difficult. You want that last hour of a marathon to feel a bit easier, whereas the first hour you probably want to to hold back and that's going to be a bit more difficult potentially if you've got that caffeine in early and then it's potentially going to wear off a little bit towards the back end of the race, but don't forget that caffeine has a half-life of six hours. So, if you take it at the start of the marathon, even if you're, a, you know, even if you're a four-hour marathoner, you're going to have more than half of that still in your system. But that's probably why it's a better idea to take it, you know, a couple of hours in, maybe <clears throat> three hours into the marathon if you're a four-hour marathoner, so that you get that last hour that real lift at the end of the race. And finally, you know, if you're racing this weekend, don't try it at a race first. Try it in training. Don't go into this weekend thinking, oh, I might try that because it might not work out for you. Some people have GI issues with it. Um, some people just won't have any effect at all. 
um, or won't feel like it's had any effect. So don't be trying this out in a race to start off with. I had someone contact me earlier about gels and asking whether they should try them this weekend in a race. And if you've not tried this before in training, it's always the same uh, advice that I would give. Anything new, try it in your training first and take it forward then. Test it a few times and if you like it, take it into your next race. But don't start doing these things in a race. I hope that's helped. Um, any questions that you have on caffeine, please feel free to message me on Instagram at The Running Rules. I hope that's been an interesting discussion in terms of whether you should do this, whether you are taking enough. I think one thing to take away about this is definitely look at the dosages that you're taking currently. People think that they're taking lots of caffeine because they took three high five gels and realized they've only got 90 milligrams. And that's probably why they're not feeling a lot of benefit. Um, so look at those dosages. Um, think about what's going to work for you and um, let me know if it if you do use it whether it works for you or not. I'd be really interested to know how you're getting on with this. Um, take care, have a great week, and I will talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate you taking the time and I hope you've got something to take away and action in your own running. If you enjoyed the show, please hit subscribe and recommend it to someone you know. If you're struggling with your own training or want to get faster and stronger and not sure how to, therunningrules.com forward slash coaching is where you can find out more about getting personalized help with your running and nutrition to take you to the next level. Have a great week, stay consistent, focused, and most importantly, enjoy your running.